the sacred collective. All are respected, all are heard, all are welcomed. Join us. Hello, everyone. Welcome to another episode of the Sacred Collective Podcast. We got a return guest, a return visitor. Um, we had such a good conversation last time, we decided to do round two, because I think our conversation was like an hour and a half, and we probably could have talked probably a good three hours. So um, we have Ashley Flieger back again, and I'm just so excited, Ashley, for you to come back on and just have continue our conversation from last time. Yeah, me too. It's good to be back. Um, I feel like I haven't, I, I think the last podcast I was even a part of was yours. <laughs> <laughs> and so this is kind of fun. It's been a while since I've really sat and talked about religion. I, I unfortunately talk about it way too much, uh, or maybe that's a good thing. I don't know. <laughs> So let's just jump in where to like, I want to kind of have you steer the conversation. Well, as I said before, you know, I'm former pastor, former assistant pastor um, and master's commission director. And I left eight years ago. I'm now an atheist and uh, well, agnostic atheist. I also consider myself an anti-theist. I pretty much um, really do not agree with religion anymore. And that's kind of been my stance. Um, and that feeling has grown stronger over the last eight years or so. And so there are other things that over the last eight years, it feels like over time, I get these little revelations, uh, just thinking about all of my time back then. And because I spent some really important years of my life involved in ministry or in church, you know, youth group, and then up into the master's commission, directing that and then pastoring. And I look back on it and I look back on my childhood and I see this pattern of anxiety, irritability, ang anger. Um, unfortunately, that's a little embarrassing to admit, but I have always kind of struggled from panic attacks. And I remember when I was younger, about 15, I had been taken to the hospital and to the doctor to talk about um, suicidal ideation and things like that, mm. because I always really struggled with it. And I, I, I kind of always struggled socially too. I, I struggled a little bit throughout high school. And then I kind of felt like I've found my people, you know, at that time. And I, that's when I started going to youth group. And, and as I continued to get involved with church, I felt like those were my people. And as I would get into prayer and worship, because I was in, I was in a Pentecostal, you know, charismatic, charismatic church all of those years. And so prayer and worship were this whole big production, you know, the lights, the fog, the really awesome worship band um, with this whole like priming and atmosphere for certain types of things to take place, you know, quote unquote, supernaturally, you know, speaking in tongues and getting slain in the spirit. and you know, falling on your knees just from feeling overwhelmed from the presence of God, things like that. And I remember those days as well. <laughs> it was like that for you too? Oh, yeah. I grew up as some as a God. Oh, yeah, that's right. That's right. So everything you're saying, I've experienced that um, way too much. So, yeah. Yeah, good. So you totally know what I'm talking about. Mm -hmm. Yeah, because it was it's just like this. And then, I don't know, for me, when I would get like panic attacks or I would get worked up and emotional. It kind of worked out in that scene a little bit. You know, I kind of fit in a little bit because I looked like I was passionate and the Holy spirit was working in me. And I, that kind of 
and to be honest, I look back on a lot of those times and I feel like oddly enough, it kind of helped me through some of, some of that because I didn't have a coping mechanism and I was untreated. I was not, I was going through therapy on and off and I didn't understand the importance of medication back then. And so I was completely untreated. And so in those scenes, it kind of helped me get through it, you know, with the deep prayer and worship. And as time went on, we got involved with uh, the prayer centers. We had a prayer center in Des Moines, Iowa, where I pastored. And we were there all of the time for hours, just worshiping, just hysterical worship, prayer and worship at times. And we really just thought that the Holy Spirit was working for like five, six hours at a time sometimes. And um, I would really get into speaking in tongues. And that's been something that's weird to me because even, you know, now I kind of realize a little bit more what that even is. Mm -hmm. And there were some tests done on it. And, you know, the actual term for speaking in tongues is glossolalia. Mm -hmm. You've heard Mm -hmm. that. And so, you know, basically your mind is blank in those times and you can just utter different syllables. And to me, that doesn't point to a God or a spirit taking you over, but as a Christian, that's what it feels like. That's what you're, you're thinking you're experiencing. And, um, some, I just looking back on a lot of those times that like, it was almost like hallucinations and it was delusional almost, you know, I was having panic attacks, anxiety attacks. And, you know, I think back on times where the emotions just overtook me. And a lot of it was like, I was just thinking about things going on in my life or, uh, I was just being triggered into a panic attack because it's something I had always dealt with on and off. And it's kind of odd also thinking back on it, doing public speaking here and there as a pastor, but struggling with anxiety and even kind of like some fear of public and um, crowds and things like that. I kind of get, I kind of get a little bit of anxiety about that kind of stuff. But when I would become emotional, it was like, you know, everybody was eating it up. The Holy spirit was (laughs) taking over. (laughs) Yep. Yep. I remember those days. Oh, look at that sweet girl. The Holy spirit is touching her. (laughs) Yeah. No, I was going to say too, like I've, I've struggled myself with anxiety and, and panic attacks. Um, I mean, I've had a couple of them, even I had one a couple weeks ago and, but I just, I, I get them when I'm in situations that I can't control or situations that I'm really uncomfortable in. And I don't know, it just comes over me and, you know, you're kind of like, <gasps> you, you just can't breathe or like, and, and I found coping mechanisms to help me out. But what you were saying about all these, you know, scenes when you were in and speaking in tongues or all these things, it, it, it almost, tri- it triggers so many emotions and feelings, even in my own mind. Like I'm going back, like when you were talking, I'm like, Oh, I remember this. I remember that. I remember this. And I remember one instance. Um, did you ever hear of, oh gosh, this is a long time ago, the Pensacola revival back in the day? Yeah. Yeah. So my church, my somebody's a God church, we went down to that. And I think I was in like eighth grade, so I wasn't that old. And I knew a lot about, obviously, you know, speaking in tongues and all this stuff growing up in a Pentecostal church. But looking back at it now, I'm like, it's such indoctrination, such bullshit, such, I don't know. And I I look at it and I, I don't even know if it was real. It's probably not real. I'll just say that. It, it, and when you were saying like when people speak in tongues, it's in this like blankness in there and it's just these 
words or utter these syllables. I want to say I was, re- I don't know when it was, sometime when I was in seminary, and I actually read an article about, and it was from like a neurologist who says the same chemicals in your brain that gives you pleasure stuff, whether that's, you know, you have a great piece of pie you eat or when you have sex or whatever, is the same kind of chemicals that when you're in like this religious ecstasy, that is the same thing that triggers that off. And then when I started reading that, then I'm like, well, a lot of this stuff that we claim to be the Holy Spirit or God working through it, it's just the chemicals in our brain being like, okay, you're really into this thing, whatever you're doing, you're jumping up and down, you're hooting and hollering, you're swaying, so I guess I'm going to release this endorphin or this chemical that you're doing and and make sure that this is going to happen. And I mean, growing up in the Assemblies of God, I was like, well, I, I've spoken tongues, but if I'm honest with myself, even now where I'm at as a 38-year-old, I'm like, did I really ever speak in tongues or is that just bullshit? you know, that I came up with, you know, on my own, or did I, did I just make it up or, or just whatever it is. And it's like, it's the older I get, the way more suspect of any of those experiences I've ever had. I was like, I don't, I don't think that they were real. They felt real at the time as a young kid for me as a young teenager, but now as an older adult is just like, no, that, that, that wasn't real. And we have to realize too, like when you're in a group of people, you know, I was with a group of thousands of people, some that I knew, some I didn't, there's a lot of, um, angst and there's a lot of like, I want to fit in. So I'm going to try to do these things because I don't want to feel left out. Well, oh, my friend over here is getting slain in the spirit. I don't want to look like an idiot (laughs) and not get slain in the spirit myself. And I remember, like, and I can vividly remember this scene. I like when I was down down in Pensacola at this revival, which is a stupid word in and of itself. And I remember like these people like praying for me, quote unquote, and they would always stand. One would stand behind you to catch you. And then one would always put their hands somewhere on you, like your head, your shoulder, whatever. And I remember, and it was like almost like a tripping mechanism where they would literally like, they would, they would pray, but they were like pushing, like wanting you to tip over. And I remember internally telling myself, I'm not going to tip over. Like, what are you trying to do? And something even as like an eighth grader, I was like, this is, this isn't right. You know, like this isn't right. Like, if the spirit is real and the spirit is supposed to be doing this, it's not going to be so hard for me to fall down. And I think I was 13 at the time, maybe 14. And I even remembered back then, like, this isn't right. Like, and sure enough, all my friends were falling down and, you know, quote unquote, slaying in the spirit. I don't know what it was. Definitely wasn't that. And I just remembered like leaving that whole revival thing, just being super, super suspect of, of any of it. And everyone came back to church singing the high praises of it. And I still remember just on the way back, cause it's a long drive from Florida to, to Minneapolis, just being like, this, this, this isn't right. And I, I, I'm glad I had that kind of mindset all those years ago for that. So yes, um, we share a lot of the same experiences. Um, and it's just tough to get through. It's traumatic. It's triggering. Whatever you want to call it. Yeah, I, I, the last year that I was in ministry, there was a revival coming through our town too. I cannot remember the name of this evangelist that was coming through, but it, it was an Assemblies of God nearby uh, there in Des Moines, Iowa, and so we went to that. And there was an altar call at the end, of course, you know, and. I went up there and some guy was praying for me and he was doing what you were saying, you know, putting his hand on my forehead and he was praying very passionately and he was praying in Mm -hmm. tongue, going back and forth between praying in tongues and, and speaking in English or praying in English. And then when I wasn't going down, he started saying things like, trying to cast the demons out of me and the evil out of me. And then I got mad and, you know, and that was like, as I was on my way out and I was like, I'm not going down, bro. Like, Can you stop pushing me? This isn't happening. And I was like, screw this. And I walked away. 
And that was probably the most uh, like blunt I was back then, but I didn't know the guy anyway, but it made me so mad because he was, when he started trying to cast demons out of me, I started feeling like, stop, there's nothing wrong with me. Like I'm up here willing, trying to have God touch me Mm -hmm. and be a part of my life. And you're speaking demons and evil out of me. And so that, that really, um, that really frustrated me and chapped my ass. (laughs) But uh, we had um, other experiences too. We, we uh, would go to this other prayer center Mm -hmm. and it was always the most, bizarre things going on the most bizarre of bizarre and they would have all of these people going around taking pictures and trying and trying to look at the pictures to see i don't know if you've ever heard of this to see if there were any of these orbs on the pictures oh my gosh yep yep. because they thought it Mm -hmm. was angels and things like that and then they would claim that there were gems that fell from the from heaven and uh they would talk about this like shimmery angel dust oh that's like the toronto outpouring or whatever that like i remember because like during the and i didn't mean to cut you off but when you said that it like penna like the the penna Pensacola, there we go. The Pensacola was more like it was an AG church that I was out of, and the one in Toronto was more of like a vineyard or non-denominational mm-hmm. church. But they're the ones up in Toronto where it was like the orbs, the angel dust, um, gold coming from you know heaven. People saying like the gold and silver, supernatural weight loss. <laughs> yeah, yeah, all the you name it. They were claiming people were like barking like dogs, and they were like, "Look at this! This is all from Jesus." Jesus and I'm just like, are you on drugs? Like, are you on like a hallucinogenic? And you're literally like a mass trip, <laughs> you know, in front of everyone. It's it's so bizarre looking back on it. And 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 what boggles my mind, Ashley, is st- people are still trying to do all that stuff today. Still, mm-hmm. they're just like, oh yeah, this is always happening, and like it never went away. And I'm like, yeah, it did, because most people look at it and they're like, are you freaking out of your mind? You know, this is so bizarre. This is cultish. This is so outside the realm of, of being okay. But, hey, people are still wanting to try to do it for God knows why. I Yeah, I know. Yeah. Well, I, I have a sneaking suspicion. I know a little bit why. <laughs> but you know, I think I have a lot to do with manipulation and control and money. Um, oh yeah, and so you know, yes. I, I mean, even just, I mean, from government, but and all of that, but even on a smaller scale, I think of. I have this other memory of this conference that we went to, where we took some of the youth. It was like youth and college age, um, and it was an IHOP conference, you know, International House of Prayer, oh, yeah. and um, I think this was in what year was that? 2012 maybe something like that but um they called for a fast and it was the whole conference was only like two or three days long and might i remind you it's college age and teenage you know high school age junior high age kids that are going there uh either showing up with very little money because they're in college or they're the little bit of money that their parents gave them for food probably right and so uh, maybe I maybe I shouldn't say the specific name, but whatever. I will. Mike Bickle, I think, was the one that um, mm-hmm. that called for this fast for everybody to fast and to not get any food and any of the money that they would have spent on any of that, they should put into the offering, and that God will bless them. That um, the floodgates of heaven will open out on them, and all of this kind of stuff, and they were handing out bottles of water and encouraging people to drink water, but to not eat and put all of that money towards the offering. And they just created this whole priming atmosphere with just hours of altar calls and prayer and worship. And I don't know, I just have this like really like bad, like spot in my mind and in my heart about fasting and 
Mm-hmm. So that's one of them. And, you know, a couple of other experiences I had through master's commission where we were forced to fast for, you know, long periods of time and being berated for feeling hungry enough to eventually eat something and accidentally, you know, cheating on your fast or, you know, things like that. But I mean, just that it's like they wanted that money from all of those young kids. And created this like experience for them, this prayer and worship experience. And if you think about it, and I never went to IHOP, but I, uh, I do, you know, I'm not going to say church. But it's our, it's our group. I think last time I talked to you, we had switched our name. We were Revolution, and now we're Doubters Believers Alliance because I think most of us are more doubters than <laughs> believing in God. But that's the name of your church now. Yeah. Well, that's cool. Yeah. Well, and we sat because we took it over from our friend Jay Baker, who who had left because he, him, and a couple other people who run it moved out to Seattle, and we started it. And I just never liked the name because you know I've been deconstructing so many things about faith and Christianity and the Bible, and I was like, I don't want to feel like I have to just talk stuff about the Bible. I want to talk about whatever current events, politics, things that are happening in our culture. And one of the guys in who's part of the group, um, Curtis, me and him just sat down. We had a battle plan and I was like, I want a name that is not religious, but will, you know, have everyone at the table. And he was like, let's do Doubters Believers Alliance because kind of going with the like gay straight alliance that a lot of schools and stuff did. Um, at least up here. And so we liked it and a ton of, we got a ton of positive, you know, feedback. And cause, you know, there'll be times where I'll set up there and I'll be like, yeah, like I've read all these stories in the Bible and this is bullshit. And I'm going to tell you why it's bullshit. Or I'm going to say this is where it's manipulative or this is where it's about control. This is where it's about this. And this is how the church is fucked up with everything. And it, it's, it makes it so much more free, you know? Yeah. I was going to say that's what's up. <laughs> and then I, well, and then I reached out to even family. I'm not going to say their name for the sake of anonymity, but for the people that I know in my own family who aren't really, they're not, not I'm not saying they're not Christians, but they're not the way they were raised and they feel like they can't come out. And I was like, Hey, what do you want me to talk about? I won't say your names, but what do you want me to discuss? And one of my one of my relatives was like, talk about homosexuality because everyone in my family thinks it's wrong. I'm like, okay, I got you. And then another person, one of my relatives was like, they're getting into witchcraft. And they were like, can you start talking about witchcraft? And, you know, can I still believe in God and practice witchcraft? Can I do all this stuff? So it's it's so more freeing to do stuff like this and having conversations like that than ever going into a church. And I, I told my wife, and she's 100% with me, I was like, is if I don't step into a quote-unquote church ever again, I'm like, that's fine. I mean, I'll go for a wedding or like a funeral, but it's, as as far as participating and going to church, I was like, I'm, I'm done with that. And I would rather do, I can have a, I can have a beer or two beers when I'm talking about this stuff because we meet at a bar, which is, Way more fun and appealing than trying to do this at a church. So, yeah, Doubters yeah. Believers Alliance is way more fun than being called a church. Yeah, definitely. I agree. It's like, it kind of gives me like Unitarian society type mm-hmm. vibes, you know, where like they won't even call themselves a church. I think that's why they go with the word society. Mm-hmm. But, um, where that's mostly just free thinkers and, skeptics right atheists you know and if you stick to only talking about scripture you're you kind of you eventually get stuck and you can only talk about things so much because there's just so much shit in it so Mm -hmm. much violence and hate and then so much that it goes against that in today's world we're trying to fight against it being wrong, such as, you know, homosexuality, uh, non-binary, gender neutral, uh, you know, LGBTQ community type stuff, um, you know, race issues, 
you know, all of those things, you reach a certain point where the Bible doesn't really cover what's morally right anymore. Well, and I just did one on like homosexuality and I, you know, use the quote unquote clobber passages where people are like, oh, it's in Leviticus and it's in here. And I more or less made the point of like anybody who's studied the Bible realizes the Bible was never written for people outside of the time that it was written. You know, I'm like, it was written by these very probably rich, wealthy, you know, very misogynistic men who were like, this is what we're going to talk about. They never thought that people, in my opinion, thousands of years down the road are like, oh, yeah, you know, there's an entire group, millions of people are going to believe this and live by it. And when you push that narrative to people who are like, I think being gay is wrong. You're like, well, you're just looking at it because, you know, you, you've heard people like, well, it's in the Bible, so it's good enough for me. Or the, you know, Bible's the inerrant word of God and everything in it is, you know, true. And it's just like that. I can destroy that argument in like literally two minutes because you realize like even how the Bible was put together in its canon was problematic, you know, at the get go. And then I'm like, when people use these clobber passages to say it's wrong, I'm like, and in my talk, I had said this was none of the homosexuality they talked about in the Bible was consensual. It was always forced. It was violently forced. It was rape. It was pediatry where people would go and rape like young boys. I said, that is what the Bible was saying. Hey, don't do that. Like if you're doing that in a, in a violent and non consensual way, then it's wrong. And I was like, but it does not say anything about being gay in a consensual relationship. And I said, and people have been gay since the beginning of time, whenever that happened. So I was like, this is nothing new that we're dealing with. And. I got a lot of like a lot of good comments on that. No, not from a lot of family, but I was just trying to change the narrative of like, you know, p- people have been hurt by that and I have a lot of friends who are queer who that's why they left the church. That's why they stopped believing in God because they were like I was told I was an abomination and going to hell and it hurts me because I was like you know, you're like the 80th person I've been, to- you know, that's told me that, which is horrible and I can understand why someone would leave church for that. So I just feel like this kind of not series that I'm in, but I'm trying to go back to be like, you know what? These, these people lied to you. They fucked up. They actually believe what they said, but I'm actually going to try to say like, not seem to believe in Jesus or go to church or whatever, but to be like, this is how these people got it wrong. And I'm going to show you how they get it wrong. Anyway, it's a lot of work to do. (laughs) That's good. Cause I mean, I mean, you just, that's, that's where I, that's just where I couldn't jump on board. I couldn't, I couldn't jump on board with agreeing with any of that stuff. It just didn't match up with any of my morals. And I, I, I could never really agree with it. Mm-hmm. And, but I mean, I wasn't a part of a progressive church or anything at the time either. I mean, it was all just a bunch of white men that were, I mean, it was, there weren't as many female pastors in the denomination. It was mostly just a bunch of white men. And um, they didn't that I was a part of open Bible churches and they, they do not agree with, you know, homosexuals being in uh, any form of leadership in any way. Um, I mean, and, and they're not shy about it either. You know, I, we, we weren't able to have people who weren't right with God, you know, even on our worship team, just somebody playing drums. What does that even mean? <laughs> right I don't with know. God. Exactly. Like, like when people use phrases like that, like your heart's not right with God. Uh, wh- what? Just say you don't want me in the worship team. Don't bring God into the equation. <laughs> you know, yeah. like, oh, I smoke. Okay. You're not right with God. Uh, who says that smoking's wrong? Oh, yeah. Somebody said they saw you at the bar. You know, it's like, I'm 30 years old. I can have a beer or a glass of wine. But you're not right with God, uh, in your opinion, or what? And then they use the Jesus language or the Christian language, which we know all too much about. Yeah. Yep. I know. It's been a while since I've kind of been out out of that. So sometimes I I even forget some of the lingo, but when I hear it, like 
a flood coming at me. I'm like, oh my gosh, like a flood of memories. Yeah. Thing. And and I'll, truth be told, like, I actually said this to my mother the other day, because you probably heard this growing up in church or being in church, like, don't be friends with non-Christians or, like, atheists, because they will, like, pull you off. They used, they had this, like, almost, like, human, not human video, but, like, a human, I don't know, uh, human story about it, where they put, like, this person on a chair. I remember they did this in youth group. Oh. And the person was a... the it was kids from the youth group, but they put it they like a big chair and they put it up there and they were like, here are you, you're a Christian. And then they brought like three or four of us around. And of course we had to be like non-Christians or agnostic or atheists. And they kept pulling us down and they're like, see, if you become friends with atheists or agnostics or non-Christians, they're going to pull you down and they're going to make you fall off the chair, which Back then, I was like, oh, okay, you know, this kind of makes sense. And now as an adult, I'm like, that is such utter manipulation and yeah. such an utter control. And like I was telling my mom the other day, I said, besides my best friend, Scotty, who is like family to me, who is a pastor, we disagree on a lot. I said, almost every one of my friends is either agnostic or atheist. And I was like, I don't know if that means... Like, I'm more on that route of skeptical or being agnostic or atheist, or they just, you know, are like, Brian's this, like, quasi-Christian guy who we think is kind of cool. I don't know. But I was like, I and I told my mom, I said, I would rather be friends with agnostics and atheists because if they like me and they care about me, there's no motive behind it besides just wanting to be my friend. Yep. You know, there's no, there's no Jesus. There's no eternal life. It's not like, oh, I need to go, uh, pray for Brian because, you know, he got a little drunk last night. You know, your soul's in danger. It's more of like, I just want to know how you're doing. Like, hey, friend, how are you? Hey, you know, whatever. And my mom just kind of got quiet and I was like, this is the most happy I've ever been in friendships, mind you, in my entire life. And I'm like, and it makes me think, I'm like, is there a reason? Is the universe trying to tell me something like, hey, you're friends with more like agnostic and atheists than you are Christians, whatever. So that's even what right now what I'm processing of like, what do I believe anymore? Or can I still be agnostic-y and still like to talk about Jesus? Or and there's some days where I wake up and I'm like, yeah, I definitely believe in Jesus. And then there's other days where I'm like, I don't know if I do or not. So... I guess full transparency, that's where I'm at these days. <laughs> yeah, that's kind of a, a fun place to be, though, because, you know, I mean, if it's if it's true, if in all reality, Christianity is true, Jesus really lived, there was, you know, really a resurrection and all of that stuff, then, you know, great, you know, but at the same time, we don't know that any of that even happened. So mm -hmm. how, I don't know. I don't know how we can put so much merit on it. I personally think of it as a mythological story. I don't see it any different than I do about Greek mythology these days. Mm -hmm. But I, I mean, I don't see, I, I don't see how there could be any truth to Jesus resurrecting and ascending to heaven and things like that. I, I mean, that stuff, I mean, if you just think logically, do things like that happen? Do people come back from the dead? Do people float up to heaven? Where is heaven? Like, where is it? <laughs> what is heaven? Yeah. What is it? Where is it? Well, and if you ask that to people, Ashley, you just got to have faith. You got to have faith that it's there. Got to have faith that it's real. <laughs> Yeah, I know. I'm being antagonistic, I know, but... It's just like, don't think about it, just give the default, God did it. <laughs> right. And I actually got in a conversation with a friend sometime this summer who, him and his wife both are atheists and they both grew up in the church. He grew up Catholic, was an altar boy, and then he became like an evangelical Christian and then seminary i mean he got it he did a double major in college with theology and philosophy in three years which is just i'm in awe of him with that graduated seminary real quick and then got to the point where he's like i don't really believe in any of this and that actually happens to a lot of seminarians where they get out of 
seminary, whether it's a, like a conservative school, like I went to a liberal or, you know, whatever, and they get out and they're like, because uh, in what happened to me is we're telling these men and women who are in seminary to go to school, to get educated so you can bring it to the masses. And then you get there and you're in seminary and you're like, I have to lie through my teeth mm-hmm. to tell people about stuff that we have literally no idea. And like, I, you know, and it's like, I tell people all the time, you cannot say like Jesus, you know, for a fact, Jesus died and rose again. I said, that is what a faith is about. It is not provable. We can't prove these things. And that's why you have faith. So I'm like, if a Christian has faith that Jesus died and resurrected, great. That, but that still doesn't bring to the point a where it makes logical sense or B that it really happens. I said, that's why it's faith you don't know if it's real or not and you have to be okay with that 50-50 of maybe it happened maybe it didn't okay you believe in this you do you that's how all face work but then you talk to so many people they're like i know it's true i know it's true brian well how do you know it's true oh, well i just do so there's no it's like there's no critical thinking on their part they just believe it blindly and then when someone likes me go to them and be like well but you got to kind of show me it you know like when we're all in school it's like show your work show how you got to your answer for some apparent reason in religion religions don't have to show their answer nope and that's always problematic to me like the way my brain works is very logical very i don't know linear where it's like okay if you start here at a you get to b tell me how you get there and religion all religions are like "Mm, no we don't really have to tell you because they won't say because they can't, but they're like, because we don't have to, because faith is above all reality and faith is this and faith is that. And then I just sit back and I'm like, guys are full of shit. Yeah. <laughs> this is really what you I have think. You have to have faith in a bunch of fallacies. I mean, you either, it's definitely not a hundred percent true because there are certain aspects about it that are definitely proven to not be true, such as, I mean, the creation story, you know, when it talks about, you know, when Christians believe the age of the earth and human existence to be 6,000 years old about, I mean, even the pyramids alone are older than that. And Mm -hmm. that completely negates anything prior to the uh, agricultural revolution or uh, different types of humans that once walked mm-hmm. this earth. I mean, it's a very narcissistic worldview and it's incorrect. I mean, Noah's Ark couldn't have happened. Um, there is proof in science with evolution. There are a lot of really amazing theories out there about possibly how we came to be and we're trying to figure those answers out. But when you involve a doctrine like the Bible and the Christian faith, you have to default to these things that are obviously not true. And not even yet, yeah, not even just that there's no proof of Jesus and the whole Christian century. It just has incorrect information. So either there are parts of it that are true and God created a doctrine a debate, that he's has my cousin. some he false has a, information in it he's a wonderful man but i disagree disagree with him vehemently he has a phd in systematic theology but when i was i said i feel like i my term and i don't like terms but for for the sake of conversation and i think i said it last time was i i i I view myself more of as a Christian agnostic because I do like the teachings of Jesus. I do think th- I don't look at him as a religion. I look at him as like a philosophy, you know, as as uh, not what Paul did or the prophets, but what Jesus did. And that that's me. But then I said I'm more agnostic because I said with these stories, with all this other stuff, doctrines, I said I'm agnostic because I don't care. I just don't care. Maybe Maybe it happened, maybe it's not. I just take a stance of it. I don't bother myself with it because it doesn't affect my day-to-day life. But one thing I said to my cousin, because he's still pretty conservative, was because when I was in logic class in seminary, and I was like, in logic and epistemology, well, especially epistemology, which is literally the study of knowledge, it's like 
you have to prove what you're saying. Like if you're studying knowledge, you know, I was trained to say to someone like, Hey, you said this. Okay. But how did you get there? It was like, it is like, it's a, it's a mechanism to try to keep people truthful or to show their truth, like, or to show like how they got to their answer. But this is the kicker, which bothers me to no end. But the teacher had said, all knowledge has to be provable. All knowledge has to make sense, or we can push it out the window and say it's not real. But their caveat was religion doesn't have to prove it. And like, he said that to me in seminary, he said it to our class, and all these sirens were going off in my head. I was like, wait, how? first of all, A, how arrogant is that? And B, that's going against what you're saying with epistemology. You're saying you have to prove all your knowledge and your truth claims or whatever, but yet when it comes to religion, Christianity, Islam, whatever, we don't have to prove it because faith is unprovable, they said. But yet everyone in their face like, well, my faith is true, my faith is right. Well, how do you know? Well, it just is. It's like they will not push. And I'm more for evangelical Christians saying this, but they 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 don't even know why they believe in what they believe in. And when I was and I was telling my cousin, I was just, he's like, well, you're a postmodernist. Yeah, I know. And I said, I'm a very very in, in, enmeshed in postmodern thought because postmodern literally will say you can't have a thought and idea without proving it, and or else giving a good reason why you believe in it. And if you can't even give a good reason why you think Jesus died and rose again and you just are like oh i have faith and at the end of the day that's good enough for me i'm like why do you think so many people are walking away (laughs) from christianity and faith because they sit down and they're like this has no substance you know there's nothing to this that is really meaningful to me or to my family or to whoever and he was like oh i just vehemently disagree and i'm like and then it's a no no a whole nother conversation about the rituals and all that stuff and tradition that we do, which no one ever questions. Am I right? No one ever quite, why do we do this? Well, it's because what we always do, but why do we do it? Well, it's just because people, our forefathers did it and they did it before them. So, but why do we continue to do that without questioning, without pushing back to say, this is really restrictive or this is really wrong. It's just people are like, well, you know what? We're going to do it anyway. And, and, I just don't like ri- the ritualistic part of any religion. It's just like, that's just stupid. Even the whole idea, even the whole idea of like, I got to go to church every Sunday to be a good Christian. That's a ritual mm-hmm. that nowhere in the Bible uh, yeah, does it I say, be in church every Sunday or you're going to go to hell. But yet, how often are we taught that in any denomination? All the fucking time. And it's ridiculous. Or they can take it out of your bank account if you sign tithes, up for it. But I mean, nowadays they have it virtually, and you can yep. just pay online. The church I went to before <laughs> before leaving everything, which was a very progressive church, oh, they would God. have people come up and say, "Hey, you know what? We know this was right before the pandemic. We know that you know sometimes writing a check or whatever can be difficult. But do you know if you give us permission, we can just take it out of your bank account on whatever day you want?" And I'm like. I feel really sketchy having a church have that permission to take money from my bank account every day or that every day that month or whatever. It's ridiculous. When I worked, uh, when I was pastored at the church, um, we had to, Mm. as pastors, we had to pay a part of we had to pay our tithe to the denomination. So we were in, in Iowa, we were in central region. And so we had to pay our tithes to central region. And then after a while, there were a lot of people who weren't paying their tithes. And so then they started automatically taking it out of paychecks. Um, and, mm-hmm. you know, contacting so like the, garnishing your wages, yeah, like they'd contact the church and they would take it out of our paycheck. Gosh, that's evil. It was. And we we did not have any money. I, we were not a part. I was not a part of a mega church or anything like that. It was a small church. I mean, it was basically poverty level that we got paid. And I had a hard time 
paying bills, having enough for groceries. A lot of the time we were so devoted to the church and it, I never, I never wanted to tithe. The only reason we ever did was because they automatically started taking it out of our paycheck. <laughs> Cause I, I mean, I was like, yeah. I'm a mom. We yeah. need this. We need, we need food. I need to feed my kids. Oh, absolutely. And I, what I, first of all, what I, I have a really good friend of mine who was an Old Testament professor. He's kind of doing that, kind of not. Uh, that's another long story. But I remember in the college that I went to is where he was at, but he had said something about tithing. And cause he's an Old Testament, you know, scholar, he went to really good prestigious school and all this stuff. And, he said, how many of us are told to tithe 10%, right? Tithe 10%. That's what the church asks of you. Everyone raises their hand. He's like, that's not biblical. And then everyone in the class was like, what? Yeah, it is. He's like, no, there's nowhere in the Bible that it says to tithe. And he's like, actually what it does say. And he's like, I'm not advocating for this, but it's just, he's like, just to show you that we pick and choose what we want to believe in the Bible. And everyone does is he was like, it says, give everything to like be communal, like give your whole money to your community that you're a part of. And then you take what you need. You know, if you make less money than the people who make more money, give, give to you. And people were like, that's just not right. That's blah, blah, blah. And he's like, but that was what they did in a lot of the biblical societies back then. And it's just, it's just so bizarre at like how churches, regardless of denomination, I just hate it. Like when I was, being kind of groomed to be ordained. I mean, I remember the pastor of my UCC church at the time. She's like, this is the one part of being a pastor that I hate, but we, we have to ask for money because if we don't make money, then we can't pay our bills. And mind you, she was getting like $90,000 a year because I was sitting on a board at the church. And I was like, I know what all of you staff members make. And not only do you make $90,000 a year, your husband, who is also a pastor in the tradition, also makes like $80,000 a year. You have no kids. I know the neighborhood you live in. You get, you get your gas money paid for you every fucking day that you drive into church. So don't tell me that the church needs this money when it really doesn't, especially when we had an endowment of a couple million dollars. It, don't even. I think we're on the same page with that. It's just bringing up all these things. That's just oh, that's church. just messed up. <laughs> we used to take yeah. uh, well, yes, not me, is. but uh, one of a couple of the pastors. They would want to have staff meetings or whatever um, at Panera or Starbucks or uh, even going out to eat. And they would use the church credit card and all the time, mm-hmm. weekly. Just and I and some of those pastors, I know that they took that credit card and would buy things for themselves, like groceries or go out to eat and claim that they were talking about church and whatnot. Well, because they're not, because they're, uh, what is it, um, tax mm-hmm. exempt? I. I have an uncle, he's a retired minister, but he was in some rural church um, in a state to be nameless, in case they listen, <laughs> which I doubt. But anyway, he had told me even at a young age, they had this tiny parsonage that the church you know, was paying for them to live in. And I came, we came down to visit one time, and he had this massive big screen television in there. It, probably at least 60, 65 inches, 70 inches. And he he got it with the church's credit card. And he's like, oh, it's it's tax exempt. So he's like, if they ever audit me or audit the church and they see, why do you have this big ass television? He's like, oh, I can say that I use a Bible study on it. Like we watch, you know, something on the internet you know, with it or whatever. And I'm like, that is so yeah, wrong that's shady. and evil. And But churches do it all the time. I mean, I'm talking about like the Catholic Church does it, like your AG Church, your Presbyterian Church, they all do it and they don't find anything wrong with it. And I was at a, you know, United Church of Christ um, 
event a number of years ago. And, and this is what, and like my frustration isn't just with evangelicalism. It's with everything. It's with all of the church. And they were freaking out because there was a law being voted on in the state of Minnesota at our local level of them potentially taking um, taxes on status away. I don't know if it was a federal national thing or from Minnesota. And you should have seen, Ashley, these pastors <laughs> squirm. And they're saying like how, you know, that would destroy their church. That would destroy them. And I'm just like, and I've, and I remember saying to one of my pastor friends, I'm like, yeah, the church shouldn't be tax exempt. And they were like, what? I mean, why? And I'm like, well, first of all, what kind of example is that? And I said, B, this is such an old archaic law that we've had in this country that only benefits the church but doesn't benefit the community at large. And I said, and it's wrong. You're not, I'm having to pay my taxes whether I want to or not, but yet you as a church never have to pay any taxes because, hey, you talk about Jesus. Make it make sense to yep. me is what I say. I know. I agree. Um, I did want to say something about, um, we were talking about um, the mental illnesses that I had struggled mm-hmm. with all throughout the years and everything. I did want to add on to that, that um, I had started taking medication, uh, a couple different medications went and talked to my doctor and I feel like I'm a huge advocate for it. I went all of those years not being treated and especially all of those years getting out of the ministry. It was really hard to know how to cope with things on top of, there were quite a few traumatic events that happened um, after I left because of the church. Um, And it just made it really hard to cope between that and the fact that I no longer prayed. I no longer, you know, poured myself into worship and all of those things. I was just left with the reality of everything and trying to figure out how to cope with all of this shitty stuff that was starting to happen. And as the years went on, it became harder and harder and harder to deal with. And the panic attacks got worse and the mental illness, mental illnesses just got worse and the irritability, just everything. It became hard enough to really even cope on a daily basis or cope uh, going in public places like that. And I eventually caved and went and talked to my doctor about it and got on medication. And it was probably one of the best things that I've ever done. And I went all of those years not doing that. And, you know, not that I was against medication or against any of that at the time, but I did, I did have a lot of hope and God healing me and, I would pray for that and I was desperate for it. And I would really thought that he would and he never did. And I, I really wish I wouldn't have struggled all of those years. And I really wish I would have been on medication way sooner than I was. And I guess that was one of the biggest things that I wanted to say in regards to that. I loved everything else mm-hmm. that we were talking about too, but I, before this ended, I did sure. want to make sure that I, said that in case there's anybody that is listening and they're like, wow, some of that seems kind of familiar or I've gone through some of that. Um, You know, they say that only 20% of people that suffer from mental illnesses actually go to their doctor and get put on medication or go through some sort of therapy. And um, it really can be life-changing and can help you cope with your daily life and cope with stresses that come and circumstances. And um, I don't know, eventually I, you know, I got out of it and I was able to figure out how to cope without prayer or worship or any of that and just enjoy the simple things in life. And um, so, 
yeah, I think medication is super awesome and it has changed my life been a complete lifesaver and I'm a huge advocate for it. And so I would have to say, you know, if, especially if you, anybody who's listening is involved in any sort of Pentecostal charismatic church and they're involved in services where they prime you for certain emotions and they set up the atmosphere in the church service, you know, between, you know, worship and then prayer and then the speaker and then closing it, you know, or going back into worship and closing in prayer or an altar call and they prime all of this and you can pour yourself out in worship and it feels like it's good because you're experiencing a high. And then as the week goes on, you're experiencing a low again. And then you start this endless cycle of trying to seek out these highs over and over again. And it's okay to take a step back and look and think, okay, am I trying to search for something that makes me feel good for a temporary period of time? And then I'm right back at trying to find it again because I'm at a a low or a low, low again. Well, for me, that was the experience. I was searching for those highs because in between the lows would get really low. And I now realize looking back on it, that it was a lot of anxiety attacks and panic attacks and just kind of hallucinations almost. And those experiences were created through priming and an atmosphere being set and, and just being desperate and hopeful for a God to actually answer your prayers. And so you're pouring all of your emotions into it. But in all reality, as time has gone on, I've realized that it really was just that I needed to be put on medication. I was, unstable I was it was hard for me to just kind of be even keel neutral and um I don't know I I really don't know what else to say (laughs) closing that but um I did want to make sure that I said that because it's since getting out of religion um that was probably one of been been one of the smartest things that I've done yeah, I'm I'm not going to really add anything on to that other than saying I'm glad you got, you know, the help you needed to when you went through that too cuz so many people especially in the way we were raised in the church is like you don't need to go to the doctor, you don't need to pray or you just only need to pray, you don't need medication, God will take care of you and I'm like, mm, sometimes medication is most times, not sometimes, most times it's the medication that someone needs. Um, I have a disease that I have a hypothyroidism. I have to be on it the rest of my life. I feel like if I was in the Pentecostal church, they would have told, they would tell me just pray and God's going to heal me. Yeah. I, I have MS. I have to be on medication too for the rest of my life. And if the times that I've not been on medication, I have had like severe relapses one after another. And Mm -hmm. then I was on medication and now I've been in remission for quite a while and I don't know. It's just these things they're put through clinical trials and the FDA approved things after they've been proven for a number of years to be effective. And I I trust that more than I trust a hope and some sort of God to come and take all of that away from me because after a while, I just got sick of waiting. <laughs> yeah. No, and I will put in the show notes um, links for, you know, national things of, of where people can try to yeah. find help for that. Because um, I think that's super important. Um, and I know I'm just piggybacking off of you. Like, to anyone who does listen, like, if you struggle with mental illness, there's always people out there to help your health professionals and do not in the least be worried about being on medication because you've been on it. I've, ha- I've been, I was on medication when I was really struggling with panic t- attacks. It would keep me from sleeping. 
and try functioning on no sleep. It's not fun. And so, yeah, we're an advocate for that. And so thank you. Um, we're going to have to close it up because I feel like we could talk <laughs> another hour because there's so many more things we could do. Um, but I do want to say um, thank you. You recommended last time we talked about some books. Oh, yeah, you plowed um, through that, didn't That you? I should look into. I, I plowed through two of them. I, I I got the trilogy, or so to say the trilogy, and I have to say it's probably one of the more eye-opening books I've ever seen. So I uh, thank you very much, Ashley, for recommending those. I dug through those quite quickly. I have my Ishmael. I haven't read that yet just because I just needed to take a break. Cause it was yeah, heavy, I haven't read my stuff. Ishmael either. But so. my, my husband suggested that to me. He's been telling me for like five years or six years now, I guess, to read it. And now it's like, <laughs> it was, it, that was life changing yeah. too. And after we got done, I was like, oh my God. And he was like, I told you. <laughs> I know. I like Ishmael was incredible. It was kind of weird at first where I'm like, this guy's talking to a gorilla. But then you're like, yeah, I've, I've read weirder things with weirder plots. And then you get to the end of it, and I was like, like, it was so heavy. But then I think I prefer the story of B a little bit more. I know it's connected, but I just got yeah. into the I got into the plot a lot more. It didn't feel like just this back-and-forth conversation like Ishmael did. But let alone Ishmael yeah. was really good. Um, so, yeah, it was really, really good. Eye-opening things made me question a lot of things, which is what those books are supposed to do. So thank you. Yeah. No problem. Anything else you want to say before we wrap up? Is it okay if I plug something in? Oh yeah, absolutely. Um, I was asked to be um, one of the hosts of a new podcast that's coming out called unordained. And it's going to be all the hosts are going to be a group of ex ministers. Oh, fantastic. And a lot of us are from uh, the clergy project, which I know I talked about before, which is a nonprofit group for ex current and former ministers that have lost their faith. And so a lot of there, there's a few of them from the clergy project that are going to be in it. And one of the, the members that created it, is also from the clergy project, but it's called unordained and we'll be starting our first show Sunday, October 10th. <laughs> nice. So in a few weeks. Yeah. Is it one of those things that's live or something? It will be live. Um, it, it, we were going to do it on our own, but then um, we're kind of unrolling. Um, we're kind of like an umbrella underneath uh Tang, the Atheist Network Group is what it's okay. called, and they're on YouTube, and so they do live shows. So that one will be live, and then I think, you know, they'll do the editing afterwards for audio and stuff, but um, it's we're kind of in the beginning process, and I've really, I mean, between the your podcast and only one other one, I've never really been on a podcast before, so... Um, it's, it's going to be kind of interesting and fun. I think we're going to talk about some things. I kind of want to tell her about you too. Oh, please do. <laughs> <laughs> uh, yeah, network but networking is always networking. That's uh, I'll always say that. So I appreciate it both ways. Yeah. Um, I thank you for having me on here. This is fun. It's, um, really interesting. And I really like the name of your I don't even want to say church, but you're. Yeah, we're, we don't use them, use those words because we're so pissed off with what the church is. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> and we're not really a church. So, I mean. Yeah. What did you say you call it again? You call it. Doubters Believers Alliance. Alliance. Yeah. Yeah. That's cool. Yeah. Yeah. So, yeah. Um, I'll probably DM you sometime about that podcast because that sounds really interesting that I would want to. Um, take a look at that and also support what you guys are doing. And uh, last thing, one of our listeners for, I think, this podcast and Doubters Believers, I had brought up, like, I was going to interview you again, and of uh, that you're part of this group of former pastors who are more a agnostic or atheistic, and he actually asked, like, hey, can you tell me what that is? And for the love of me, I had forgotten what it is. Now you said it, so now I'm going to text him and say this is what it is. So you're probably going to have a new person 
wanting to be a part of it. So, oh, okay, yeah, very cool. cool. Um, if you have any questions, let me know. They do a whole screening process, so yep. they have to apply, they screen, and they do that a lot because um, a lot of a lot of them in there, um, they go by pseudo names and everything. They do not want to come out that they're atheists yet. They're um, you know, for various reasons, it's kind of complicated for a, a lot of people. They're the breadwinner of their family. That's their main source sure, of income. Yeah. And so, um, or, or their family is extremely tied in it, with the church and the community, things like that. And it makes it for very kind of complicated situations to get out of the ministry. So, um, it's there, there's a lot of discretion and you cannot say names of people that are in the clergy project unless they tell you that you, you can mm-hmm. um or unless you feel comfortable with saying it yourself but um it's it's super awesome so anybody who is questioning and they're currently a pastor or were a pastor um yeah you can apply you can be screened and you can be a part of it it was created by dan barker daniel dennett linda lascola richard dawkins and I think a couple other unnamed people, anonymous people. But cool. um, yeah, I wanted to make sure I said that too. I got to plug in the clergy project. <laughs> yeah. Um, yes. Thanks again. I'm sure our paths will cross, you know, in the next months. But thanks again for being a repeat guest. Um, I always enjoy our conversations and it's, I don't know, it's edifying, uh, at least for me, hopefully for you too. Just good. Yeah. Getting, getting this off of our chest. I think it's therapeutic to do it um and it's fun and i feel like if our conversations i say this to all my guests i feel like if our conversations can help one two three four people it's important and and that's why i like doing what i do for sure yeah definitely cool thanks ashley i hope you have a good night all right sounds good nice talking to you yep have a good night you too Bye. bye Thanks for being part of our conversation. To continue the conversation, find us on social media at SacredMN.